Well, hey, if this is your first time visiting, my name is Jordan. I am our online pastor here at C3, and so I have the privilege of working through our digital, working with our digital ministry and our online ministry and keeping us connected with one another throughout the week and also one of our teaching pastors. And I am wrapping up our three weeks of standalone messages over the last couple of Sundays rather than starting a new series right before Christmas. Uh, we all chose, all the teaching pastors chose a topic that we are passionate about or excited about that won't necessarily fit in our teaching calendar of 2022 as we wrap up, but we still wanted to discuss. And so uh, Kim, our Next Steps pastor a few weeks ago, taught on rest. And then for just Brad, for Brad's message last week, he decided to bring myself and Bruce on with him. So it wasn't necessarily a stand-alone message. It was a stand-with-Jordan-and-Bruce message. But we taught on deconstruction, just this, this trendy um, phrase and concept, but it has been going on for centuries, and that was last week. And today I have decided for my stand-alone message to do an overview, very 30,000-foot brief overview on the entire book of Revelation. No cheers necessary. This is when I, I'm pausing for prayer. And so, uh, no, I basically, there were a couple of messages I had in my mind, and I uh, just put out a poll on our Facebook campus. What would you like to hear this week? And this is what the majority of people wanted to hear. And honestly, it's because we don't talk about it enough in the 21st century church. And it is one of those books and letters that is so often ignored and pushed away and pushed aside, uh, not just because it is difficult to understand, um, and there's a lot of imagery and signs, this, this word that John uses, and language that is uh, difficult to understand, but also because there's some things that are scary and terrifying that we may read and cause us to have fear. But that's not the point of Revelation. The point of Revelation is not to instill in us fear, but rather as the church to be filled with courage and to be encouraged by the words of Jesus himself. And so we're going to do this brief overview of the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible that, yes, addresses the end times, but it also addresses the current times. And it addresses the now as much as it does the future. And when we avoid this book altogether, we do a disservice to our faith and to those around us because we miss so much truth that God, through Jesus, Jesus speaking, is trying to let us know how to live better and how to be prepared. And so here's the reality. You're not going to become revelation experts from a 30-minute overview. My hope today is that you would rather be encouraged and inspired from today's message to then start approaching the book of Revelation more frequently, I should say. Rather than ignoring it because it's too hard or too difficult or even too fearsome, approach it with encouraging and empowering words from Jesus himself. And so I'm excited about this message. I have loved learning and, and studying. And here's the reality. There are far wiser people than me who have spent their entire careers studying this letter. And there's so many prominent theologians and scholars who still disagree on some of the details of this letter. 
And so here's the reality. I just want to invite you into this conversation today, and it's going to be very basic information, but I still hope that you walk away learning something. Or for some of you, it might be very overwhelming, all of the content. But again, the entire hope of this message is just to give you some overview, some ideas of what this book is about so that we can take with it in our studying and approach this more consistently in the future. So let me just pray for us today to get started um, so that we can open our hearts. Holy One, Holy Father, Holy, 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 thank you so much for who you are, for your words, for your son Jesus sharing this vision, this revelation with John so that we may be encouraged, so that we may be empowered, and so that we may be, imp- may be prepared for your coming. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, hey, the title of the message today is Holy, Holy, Holy. We're going to walk through a ton of scripture all through Revelation, but I just want to give a a few general details about this text before we jump into the roadmap for what we're going to be studying today. Revelation is spoken by Jesus himself to Wildly accepted the Apostle John. That is my personal um, acceptance as well. There are some scholars who believe it is a different John. and, and whatnot. Again, that, that necessary detail um, people can argue about. I believe that it is the Apostle John who was uh, casted out on the island of Patmos and, and then received this vision towards the end of his life, but then also the end of the first century. Revelation was written, believed to have been written, and delivered around 96 to 100 AD, so wrapping up that first century church uh, right after, about 60 years after the death of Jesus. And the church at this time, just so you know, is in intense suffering, intense persecution, intense poverty, intense trials and tribulation. And so on this island, John is receiving this vision from Jesus himself, who is trying to encourage in a few different ways the church. And what we see at the beginning of Revelation is Jesus' words are specifically for these seven churches that he is referencing to John to then deliver the message for. We'll talk about those churches here in a second. But then also to last a lifetime and centuries past then for the overall church to take these same words of encouragement, but also confrontation. Encouragement and confrontation. The book of Revelation is three different types of literature. Uh, The first one is prophetic literature. Prophetic literature. It is a type of literature that talks about uh, the, the future and the end times, but it is also about the Jesus who is the king of the here and the now. That's the first type of literature. Second type of literature is one that might cause a little bit of Fear, but I just want you to know once you break down what this word means, um, it, it doesn't need to. And that is apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature. And the word revelation actually literally translate in English to apocalypse, but in Greek to apocalypses. And the word apocalypse and apocalypses in Greek means to unveil, to reveal, to show not to be massacred by zombies, (laughs) okay? And so apocalyptic literature, it is about Jesus revealing the here and now, but also what is to come, to unveil, to show, to encourage, to empower, but also to confront about some very terrible things that are taking place in the church. Third type of literature is this. It is a confrontation slash consolation literature. 
Jesus is confronting the church through John, but he's also consoling the church through John. He's sharing both words of deep and intense confrontation about sins, about immoralities, casting out for life transformation, heart transformation, challenging us that, hey, stop being lukewarm. Actually, passage in, in Revelation, I believe, that says, hey, you are either, when he's talking to one of the churches, we're not going to go through this exact verse, but he says, some of you are either cold, you're neither cold nor hot, you're lukewarm. And we've all, always, almost always interpreted that as saying, oh, God wants us to be hot. Some of you would say, I've already got that part down. <laughs> wow, this is a tough crowd today. <laughs> and so some of you are like, hey, I got this cold. Thank you. I got a courtesy laugh. I appreciate that. Okay, but, but, but what Jesus is saying is, I just want you to be all in. And so many of us as the church are living as lukewarm. It is a confrontation slash consolation literature. And so important for us to understand. So, hey friends, here's the roadmap for today. And this isn't necessarily the, um, the most agreed upon roadmap of how you break down Revelation. Different theologians and pastors and scholars break it down in different ways. This is just for our understanding today to be able to grasp what does this letter mean for us? And, and, and it is just kind of how I, as I was studying and reading through Revelation, how I broke it down. Um, and then our four sections today, again, we're not going to be able to go into each section in depth. I'd love for us to be able to do a series on these different sections. But just so that you have an understanding of kind of the progression of Revelation. Uh, the first part of our roadmap that we're going to talk about is the churches. And that's chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation. Chapter 1 is, is kind of the introduction. And then chapters 2 and 3 is when Jesus is specifically talking to these seven churches um, that, that he is confronting and consoling. Confronting and consoling. And, and that um, uh, John is going to share different words of wisdom and, and to spark, hey, step out of your sin and start taking this seriously. And so that's going to be our first part today. The second part comes in chapters 4 and 5, and that is the throne, where then John, he turns and he sees the throne, and the next part, he sees this throne of God and the holiness of God, and it is just, it is just leaving him awestruck, awestruck, as he's in the presence of this worship. Holy, holy, holy. The third part is chapters 6 through 16, where you've got a lot of signs and symbols and um, difficult subjects to, to study and pray about and process. And we're going to walk through a different story um, through that section to just help encourage us um, to say, hey, do the work and learn. I love the amen from the dog in the crowd. That's what I'm feeling. That is, let's wake up a little bit, okay? And so the fourth section, final section, I just titled Victory. Victory, chapter 17 through 22, victory. And I'm really excited about um, this roadmap. Again, this is just so that you have kind of the flow of how we're going to talk today. But let's dive right in. Let's go to chapter 2, okay? We're going to start with the churches. And like I said, Revelation chapter 1 is just kind of this introduction. Chapters 2 and 3, now Jesus saying, John, I need you to talk to these seven churches. The churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I need you to talk to these churches to confront them. And five of the seven churches include confrontation. There's only two that include no parts of confrontation. They're doing a pretty good job. Five of the seven include confrontation. Seven of the seven include some form of consolation, some form of encouragement or comfort or consoling words. 
And so Jesus is saying, John, who's kind of separated from the majority of the churches on this island, he's saying, hey, write this down and then send it off to these churches to encourage them to make these different changes. So uh, we're going to just start, we're going to pick just two of the churches. We're going to start with the church in Ephesus, chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 2 through 5. This is what part of these letters look like. Verse 2, I know your deeds, Jesus says, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. There's the consolation. Verse 5, here comes the confrontation. Or verse 4, sorry. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you study the, the letter to the Ephesians and you see um, how Paul is trying to encourage this church in Ephesus um, to hold tight to this love that they had at first for the gospel and they were thriving and they were moving and they were sharing and they were giving and they were sacrificing and they were suffering together. And Jesus is saying, You've got the works down, but you're missing the love that you had at first. You've become so consumed with the mission that you've messed up why we do what we do. Go back to the roots. Friends, we could do an entire message on this. The love you had at first. So many of you, when you first found Jesus, you remember that spark, that excitement, that passion, that perseverance to fight the good fight. Because I sure do. And then as suffering hits, as apathy hits, as illness hits, it starts to lead us just slowly. I think it's the, the, the writers of Hebrew, Hebrews, it's either chapter one or two that talks about lest you drift away. So many of us think it's like a one-day decision of like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, fall apart today. But it's slowly, it's often slowly over time of buildup that leads us to drift away from the Word of God, from the Scriptures, from the Holy Spirit, from the presence of God, from the love that we had at first. Let's go to another church. Uh, chapter 2, verse 13 through 14. We're going to go to the church in Pergamum. Verses 13 and 14. I know where you live where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, friends. There are some things you, there, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Again, you've got this consolation. He's saying, hey, some of you who are living amongst these idolaters, you're doing it well. But here's what I hold against you. Some of you are worshiping other gods. 
Some of you are sacrificing to other gods. And here in the Western church, especially in Western Christianity, we don't think about Balaam or Balak. Um, different idols in our life, uh, they can include a vast, directly, a, a direct vast um, amount of things. And honestly, I think technology might be one of the biggest idols that we have, that we worship, that we spend so much time on, and how much it consumes and pulls our attention away from God. I think many of us can relate to. And so he confronts and he consoles these seven different churches in chapters 2 and 3. And then in chapter 4 of Revelation, we kind of transition. And John, and he turns and he sees the throne. And he is just awestruck. And this is part two of our roadmap, the throne of God, the next section of Revelation that we find ourselves. Turn with me to chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. It'll also be on the screen. This is just a passage from John's experience seeing the throne of Jesus. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under its wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Friends, this is such a powerful picture. And that phrase, again, the, and, and the title of today's message, holy, 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 it's a very powerful and specific phrase that I want to break down very quickly. Anytime that the Jews would use repetition in three parts, such as holy, 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 it was to draw the attention of their readers and listeners to that specific phrase. It's used, repetition like this for Jewish literature is used all throughout the scriptures. And this phrase, holy, 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 was only used once, I believe in Isaiah, and then once here, once or twice here in Revelation. Okay, here in Revelation, and then here in Isaiah. It's used very sparingly because it wants, they, the author wants to draw our attention to the significance. And honestly, to define the word holy is difficult. In our human terms, it is this to be set apart, to be this otherness, to be awestruck, to be sinless, to be pure, to be wholesome, to be wholeheartedly, to be, um, it, it kind of is the, it is, it is the most described attribute of God. So many verses throughout Scripture talk about the holiness of God, and yet is so little that we understand about it. 
And so when John is seeing this throne and he uses the, he hears these, um, these creatures and these beings singing about Jesus on the throne and God on the throne and, and the Holy Spirit on the throne, he's like, holy, holy, holy. He's using the language that he has available to him to describe the indescribable. And it's powerful. And it should fill us with courage and encouragement that the one who sits on the throne is the one who we believe in. Roadmap part number three, signs and symbols. And this is where revelation, in my opinion, gets kind of spicy. This is often what a lot of people turn away from. Because there's different, um, there's different imagery of the end times and of tribulation and of, of the second coming of Jesus and of, and of the different sufferings and battles and pains and, and what it's going to look like and who is, is going to be present and who is going to be around and, and who is going to be taken and all of these different things. And this is why we tend to avoid it. But friends, it doesn't need to be that way. I think we need to do the work to prayerfully consider why Jesus, because if Jesus told us, if it's, if it's here, okay, then we need to do everything in our power to try to understand what Jesus is trying to share with us. And so I've just picked one of the um, signs that John sees. Uh, We're going to be in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Just one of the many signs, and just kind of break it down, just so you can have this understanding of how there's so much good here for us as Christ followers to share with the world that when we avoid chapters such as these, we do a disservice to the kingdom of God. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 12, um, the third part, kind of these 10-chapter stretch of dealing with different signs in the Scriptures. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. John then, he sees a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous, enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Well, thanks for joining us today. You guys can all see you next week. No, let's break this down because there's actually so much here. And as you kind of break down some of the imagery and the signs and the stories, you see, oh, that makes so much sense. We're going to go, Dave, we're going to go verse by verse kind of back through. Uh, Verse 1, chapter 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. Um, Many theologians of our tradition believe that that woman is referencing either 
all of Israel or the church in general. Uh, individuals a part of the Roman Catholic tradition and some of um, those orthodoxies believe that that woman is Mary herself. I'll explain kind of why um, this is important, why we believe um, in, in Israel being that woman. Uh, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head against the nation of Israel with the 12 tribes of, um, uh, that are a part of Israel, okay? That's what those stars resemble. And so John is explaining, he's seeing the church, he's seeing Israel, he's seeing these 12 tribes of people. Verse 2. Now, this woman was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, verse 3. An enormous red, enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. And so the woman, this pregnant, again, the line of Jesus came through the line of David out of Israel. And so Jesus being birthed from this line of Israel came about. And the dragon, red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head, who we now later on is the devil, verse 4, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. The stars in the sky is often believed to have been when Satan had his fall. The different angels who fell with Satan, um, the demon, then the demons and the demonic nature. Again, it... it you can get into different um, theologies, orthodoxies, beliefs about kind of what is exactly happening. My personal opinion is then in this initial fall when Satan is initially just kind of casting out as you've got, then he brings with him those who were trusting in Satan to be able to overthrow the throne. And so then he starts tormenting Israel and tormenting the earth. And so he's standing in front to try to take and devour Jesus who was born from Mary in Bethlehem. Moving on. Verse 5. She will give birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. That is... Um, that is referring to snatch up to the ascension of Jesus after he was crucified and then he returned back to earth and then he ascended up to heaven after 40 days back to his throne. That is what that is referring to. The devil tried to stop that with the grave and with death, but then Jesus conquered death and was snatched back up into heaven and her child was snatched up to God in his throne. Verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. I believe this might be in reference again to where um, after Jesus ascended to heaven and you're reading through Acts and you see there's this, there's this time period. Again, this is just my personal opinion through my studies. There's this time period in Acts where the church is at peace, where the world is at peace, where there isn't that persecution and that suffering. That, that could be a reference to this after Jesus ascends where then there's this time period where God is initially protecting from suffering this 1,260 days, but it could be referenced to something else as well. That's just my, my personal beliefs. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. This is kind of when we shift his attention, when John shifts his attention from past events where he's explaining the death of Jesus now to future events. And here's what's fascinating, okay? Um, we know through Job's 
book early on that Satan had access to heaven. He approaches the throne. He approaches the Lord. He approaches God and Job to test and to tempt his servant Job. And so this isn't, again, this battle that's coming up isn't the initial, the first battle with Satan in heaven where he was initially casted out. This is what is now to believed to be the final casting out of Satan that we're going to read here. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven for good. They were casted out. The great dragon was then hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so you've got these cool stories that you can see backed up from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, um, other other. Uh, uh, other sources of apocalyptic scripture, the, the book of Daniel, of where you see kind of things of the past, but then also things of the future. And that leads us to our fourth and final part of this roadmap, where there's victory. Verses 17 through 22. Really, 17 through 20, there's a lot more different battles that, you know, kind of are described in the fall of Babylon. And, and Babylon often kind of just represents sin in general. And you've got immorality struck down and sin struck down and impurities and immorality struck down. And then we get to this section where it's just all about glorifying the victory of who Jesus is. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be reading in verses 1 through 8. John then, after he sees all of these different signs and symbols, he then turns his attention back, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, friends, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love that. He said to me, he said to me, he said to John, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, which means the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be, considered, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, there's going to be victory. And as we talked a couple months ago in our Eternity Matters message, we believe in a real hell and we believe in a real heaven. We believe that it is our faith by grace in Jesus alone that we are able to experience eternity in heaven with him. And our decision 
to actively to follow Jesus, to say, Jesus, you are the king. I am not. It is through your sacrifice on the cross. I am a sinner and I desperately need you that we then get to experience what just was described. Here's what I want to do. We're going to be about five minutes over, but I think that's okay because I want to provide you with three kind of what nows, okay? I call them the three Bs, okay? Three things for us to do with a book like Revelation and the signs and the symbols. So three Bs. The first one, be the church. Second one, be ready. And third one, be holy, okay? First one, be the church, friends, okay? Are we like Ephesus where we've lost the love we had at first? Are we like Pergamum where we are following different idolatries? Are we like the different Christ followers? Maybe, maybe we are ourselves where we know, we're like, you know what? We have not been as faithful. We have not been as fruitful. We have not been as um, convinced that Jesus is king and Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the only way. Our sins have been striking us at the heel and we have been submitting to our sins rather than the throne of God. And so that's why it's important for us to be the church. Not just the building church, the ecclesia, the community, the people where we are serving, where we are sacrificing, where we are sharing, where we are being the hands and feet of Jesus and sharing the good news, the gospel, through our actions and through our words. And we are living out the hands and feet of Jesus. Be the church. Second one, be ready. Be ready. Here's the reality, friends, okay? Every generation has thought that they are in the end times. And this goes all the way back to the first century Christians. In fact, they waited a couple decades to write these words down because when Jesus told them, the disciples, Peter and, and Paul and, and John, and he was saying, I'm coming back soon, they thought soon meant in a couple of days. And so they waited, but then once they realized, we're getting kind of old. <laughs> Let's write this down to preserve the words. And so be it today. Friends, regardless of when the end times happen, actually, um, uh, it's in Matthew's gospel when, when Jesus says that nobody knows the hour. So it's important that we be ready. And friends, this is something I've taken lightly. I love my life here on earth. And I was listening to some different theologians um, talking about, especially the Western church, but really I think it's the, the world in general, is we can't imagine that heaven is going to be better than what we've got in the Western church, in the Western world. Maybe, maybe some in the Eastern world and in the Southern church where they experience like really intense persecution to the point of murder for their faith. They're like, hey, heaven is all we've got. But especially here because, you know, I, I love my life here. And so I have become lackadaisical in my faith. And it was something I had to realize, like, friends, we got to be ready. We got to stop being lukewarm. We don't know the exact hour. It could be between services now. So let's be ready. Some of you might be thinking we're in the end times now, especially you Ohio State fans. You know I had to fit it in the sermon somewhere. <laughs> I hear... I know you're not used to losing in the last couple decades. As a Michigan fan, I get it. You'll get through this. 
you will. That was not necessarily a sign of your end times. Because for me, I'm thinking that's new heaven, new earth, baby, you know? So maybe that is a sign of the end times. Be ready. Last one. Be holy. Be holy. Be set apart. Be different. Be otherness. Be sinless. Be pure. And reflect that of the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I want to close with this last passage. Revelation 22, verse 12 through 21. We'll read this and then we'll pray. 12 through 21. John's final words through Jesus. Look. Jesus is saying, look. I am coming soon. Once again, he reiterates this. He's telling them, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. And may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift. Again, this is the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. I want to close with this, friends. The first coming of Jesus was to conquer death. The second coming of Jesus is to establish eternal life. And that's pretty cool. And so friends, I want to invite you into this journey. If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, um, I'm going to pray a prayer. And there isn't this right prayer to pray, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands um, if you've prayed it before. But if you have for the first time, today and invited Jesus into your heart. One of our, our volunteers, our pastors, would love to connect with you after service or online. But um, I just want to pray this prayer. And there's not, again, not right words to say, but um, if you just want to repeat after me, you can do it silently. You can do it under your breath. You can do it out loud um, just to invite God so we can experience this beautiful imagery together. Pray with me. Holy one, I have sinned. I'm a mess. But God, you say and declare that I am your mess. And that you stay even though I'm messy, I'm still blessed by you. God, I have wronged you and chased after you in so many ways that were wrong and impure. And yet you still sent your son to die for me. I accept that free gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And God, I'm going to live each day moving forward to pursue your holiness. Be with me as I walk. In your name I pray, amen.